Pride Podcast. Welcome everyone to our webinar on research integrity today. My name is Alison O'Reilly and I will host this webinar today. Uh, I'm the General Secretary of the Pride Network, an association for professionals in doctor education and also a research manager at the University of Vienna. And today I'm joined here by Yuri Teidink. Yuri is an assistant professor and psychiatrist at the Medical Humanities Department of the Amsterdam University Medical Center. But he's also affiliated with the Department of Philosophy of the VU University of Amsterdam. In 2016, he finished his PhD entitled Publish and Perish, Research on Research and Researchers, aiming to uncover the major pitfalls in contemporary publication practices with a focus on the role of individual factors experienced by biomedical scientists such as burnout, publication pressure and personal traits. Now, if that were not reason enough to invite him, he is also a member of the SOPS4RI consortium. SOPS4RI is a four-year project funded by the European Commission, and it aims to deliver an online, freely accessible and easy-to-use toolbox that can help research-producing organizations and research-funding organizations to cultivate research integrity and reduce detrimental practice. Welcome, Yuri. It's really great to have you with us. Well, thank you so much for the invitation, of course, and also for this kind introduction. So this project started in 2019, and I was wondering what motivated you in the first place to participate in this project. So were there any problems you personally wanted to tackle, something that was very important to you? Research integrity encompasses a lot of important elements in, in academia. And my main, the main reason why I started to be interested in research integrity is because I, well, in 2005, John Ioannidis read the paper, Why Most Research Findings Are Wrong. Um, and that really inspired me and really gave me food for thought about how, how is it possible that research, which is considered like the holy grail of finding truth, has so many disadvantages and so many biases. And why are people so, uh, so much involved in research on the one hand, but are not focusing too much on the quality actually of research or make the research results as valid as possible. And if you dive deeper, and that's what I did with my PhD, that there are a lot of factors, individual factors, also cultural factors that are influencing researchers, how they be, why they behave um, in certain ways and why they are incentivized in certain ways to conduct not so good research or not so responsible research. And the main reasons for this is not so much that they have bad intentions. That's not the case. It's not that it's more like that there's not so much awareness on research integrity. So creating more awareness about the importance of research integrity, and that could be a multitude of different factors that are important. We will dive into this in a minute. Give me the inspiration to also make this visible in institutions because we can do a lot of intervention on the individual level but we have to reach out to institutions to organizations not only universities but also funders because if they are aware and if they are aware of how important research integrity is it will eventually go also to the research that they have the tools and the availability and the the, the support and the structure to behave better 
So that was why we joined forces, the Amsterdam team, with the Arus team, who's coordinating the project. And we designed the project, and we were very lucky to work on this together in a, in a, in a great collaboration with a lot of very enthusiastic partners. And one final thing that, that might be important, and that I always try to teach my students as well, is that there's also idealism involved. And I think... And maybe it's it, it sounds a little bit naive sometimes, but I think I really want to make research a better place for early career researchers, but for students as well, because it's so much fun. Research is so much fun, but you have to aspire this. You have to teach it, but, but you also have to teach young researchers how to behave well. Looking at the project itself, so now you're nearly coming to an end with the project. And within that, you've identified nine main areas in which institutions can help foster research integrity. Now, we would like to know if you could talk us through these areas. Which areas do you think are especially important for everyone, but also keeping in mind that our audience is from the area of doctoral education? I'm going to take you a little bit to the steps how we ended up with the toolbox. And I would, I would like to highlight two important factors that are hopefully interesting and inspiring for you, the audience. And that's one thing is that we have created the toolbox with a lot of tools for research performing organizations, so universities and departments and uh, faculties. And it's really focusing on an institutional level. So it's not on the individual level per se, but really helping how institutions can foster research integrity in their department or in their institution or in their organization. So we highlight too, on the one end we have, because there's a lot of evidence out there already in guidance and in standard operating procedures and in recommendations. So we have collected them all and tried to find the best guidance possible. And we have included that in the toolbox. And on the other end, we have created guidance ourselves. So uh, several guidelines for several topics that we found underdeveloped in the project. And I will take you through these steps a little bit so you understand a little bit how the toolbox is created and also see a little bit more of the content that we have created that I think can be very relevant for uh, for doctoral training and education and organization. I think that's also very important how to create a research environment for early career researchers. One of the goals is that every institution or every organization needs a different approach. And we try to facilitate this, that you, you pick what you need. Some things you already have well developed, so you don't need that much guidance on it. So what we did, we did reviews, we did a lot of interviews with experts, we did a Delphi study to reach consensus what topics are actually important for organizations, and we did a lot of focus groups to get in-depth perspectives how topics should be covered and what topics are deemed more important than others. We created then guidelines and we revised, of course, the guidelines. So the preliminary steps that we built on are those four steps, and what we Identified after those steps are the, what are the most important topics that are considered by research integrity or research experts 
that needed attention in such a toolbox. And they resemble close to the ECOG, that's the European Code of Conduct on Research Integrity. So it, it really aligns well. And what we found here is that education and training in research integrity is considered very important. Responsible supervision and mentoring is also considered extremely important. So these is like a ranking about what topics are considered the most important. And it's very interesting and also important to see that education and training is considered very important and responsible supervision and mentoring is considered very important. And those are also two areas where there's not so much focus on in current research. So we do, we do have a lot of research on research ethics, on data management, even on conflict of interest or dealing with breaches of research integrity. There's a lot of guidance there, but there's not so much guidance on, on these topics, including research environment. That's also a topic that is not so well covered. And that's why we decided out of these 12 topics, in the end, we ended up with nine topics because we, we combined some of the topics. And we also found that collecting all the existing guidance and looking at the uh, importance of these topics, we considered that three of these topics that we should elaborate more, we should work more on. And that's what we did with the guideline creation. So we wanted to create our guideline, more guidance on these specific topics. It's also good, uh, one final thing, is that every topic has subtopics. So these are the topics that we, based on several empirical steps that we came across and that we included in the toolbox. We also did this for RFO. I think for now that's not very important, but we had, had a similar process. And there we even found fewer guidance for research funding organizations. So we had to create also some, some guidance for funding organizations. As I said, I would like to highlight today two different parts. On the one end is how we selected the best possible guidance for research integrity in the toolbox. We collected a lot of tools, a lot of guidance, a lot of recommendations, a lot of policy documents, so, uh, standard operating procedures. And out of all this evidence, and it was 300 plus evidence, we assessed all these documents and we based them on four quality parameters. And that in the end created some sort of visualization of every tool and based on this visualization and based on the ranking we decided which tools we wanted to include in the toolbox and that's where if you later visit our website and visit the toolbox then you can really see which tools are selected because we only selected with the highest ranking on those four crucial uh, domains in the inequality uh, assessment and that resulted in, in our toolbox on covering all those nine topics. Then we have three topics uh, that were, were underdeveloped, but were still considered very important. So that was the education and training and research integrity, responsible supervision and mentoring and research environment. And based on the Delphi study, we also included subtopics. So uh, education and training and research integrity on a bachelor, master and PhD student level, on the postdoctorate level, on institutional research integrity stakeholder level, and also some guidance on continuous research integrity education in your organization or at your department. Responsible supervision was consisted also on the one end on responsible supervision for supervisors, of course, but on the other end also supporting a PhD trajectory, how you can organize this best in order to value the responsibilities, but also the, the duties of a PhD student. And what is also considered very important is leadership. 
So how can you build and lead an effective team? This is also something that is sometimes undervalued in research assessment criteria, but a very considered very important in order to create a culture of research integrity. And that's something what you want. And that also nicely feeds into the third important topic that was research environments. It's about community building uh, for a positive research culture that is focusing on research integrity, managing competition and publication pressure, adequate education and skills training, and diversity and inclusion. I'm not going to dive into the details of the guidelines itself, but they are also on the website. So this is for research integrity education. And the three pillars are different stakeholders. On the left side, you see bachelor, master and PhD students that you need some sort of mandatory research integrity training. You see a training for postdoctorate and senior researchers, like elective courses, specialized training informal discussions, maybe organize a uh, some sort of peer groups in order to improve your own practice on research integrity. And we also have education programs on uh, for other research integrity stakeholders, such as research integrity officers, ombudsperson, and so on and so forth. And it helps you guide that you think of certain things and that, you, that there are recommendations how you can organize this in your institutions including best practices. So we have several links to best practices in our guidelines that can be helpful for you to, in order to get inspired and how other institutions already are doing this. Uh, so that's for the research integrity education, for this responsible supervision and leadership. PhD students with four main recommendations that you need PhD trajectory guidance, you need to provide training and support, promote a written record of agreements that you have as a PhD student with your supervisor. And you also need to provide independent bodies to consult that if PhD students have problems that they can go to independent persons. And I think most of these things, I hope, well, I'm not sure, but I, I'm happy to hear from you if, if you have organized this already. I, I can imagine that some of you already did. The same goes for supervisors, create supervision policies and guidelines. Uh, this is something that is not so much existent in a lot of institutions that what we, that what we encountered a lot of problems in, in that people don't know how to supervise. That's in the basis that there's not so much training for supervisors and that supervisors need to get together and that you also have to recognize and reward good supervision. And this is something that is still in its infancy, how I see it, because um, in most of the recognition and reward criteria, supervision is not awarded or rewarded. And I think that's a problem because what gets rewarded uh, also will will consider more important in institutions or in assessments. And there we also have some several recommendations for leaders. And the third one, also one of my dear topics is, of course, research environment, that there's a lot of work that needs to be done still for this. How can you how can you protect research freedom, for example, in the competition and pressure that you have to foster coordination and collaboration, implement a research career structure, adopt a responsible assessment, all these kind of things provide a balanced workload, these kind of things that, that relate to research integrity, but are not always considered core element of research integrity. We have collected all these important subtopics. We created some guidance on these topics. So those are the three main, what we consider very important guiding documents, uh, hopefully are also helpful in the work that you uh, do.
Well, thanks for that overview and thanks for focusing on these three areas, because as you said, there's nine areas all in all, but some are related to doctoral education as well, but maybe not so directly and maybe also not in the area of influence, which you have. Now, the thing is, I mean, I've been looking at your website and now you've given me an idea of the three areas which could be interesting to me. But even then, I've gone to the website, there's lots of stuff. <laughs> there's so much material. And even if you sort of read full of the material, the question to me is where to start. So how do I, I set up a process? How do I maybe also to talk to my management, the senior management and say, this is what I want to do. And I, I understand the project also took this into account, this how to actually process all of this. Could you say something to this? Yeah, so of, of, of course, because I was also a little bit overwhelmed by the number of documents that are out there. And that's why we have created several things. So the core element of the toolbox is that you create your own research integrity promotion plan. And this is something, and it sounds a little bit, what, what is it's the, the, the acronym is RIPP, which is not the best possible name I can imagine. The RIPs, I, <laughs> but uh, they definitely do not rest in peace because they're very, hopefully very active. And we have a template and a, and a guiding document how you can create your own research integrity promotion plan. If you go to the website, there is there are three important links. And I'm, this is the website, softsoride.eu. Then you go to tools, research integrity tools for RPOs. And there you have two things. One is a guiding document, how you can create a research integrity promotion plan. And if you click on it, it opens and it's very easy that you just see an overview of what you can do. And then we also have a template, how you can create your own research integrity promotion plan. And the idea of this template is that exactly what you say well you don't need all the documents and you don't want to get lost here are the nine topics and if you, if you click on one of the topics then you can get to the subtopics and then you can get to the documents that are deemed important for you but if you open the template then you can create your own research integrity promotion plan and you tailored it according to your needs so some areas you think well i need more guidance on it other areas you don't need guidance for example i can imagine that for your work you don't need so much documents on research ethics structures that's more on a broader institutional level i can imagine i'm not i'm not sure but uh, or maybe on data management on a higher level. So that's maybe what you don't need, but what you might need if you create such a plan, then you can really focus on specific areas and there you can find the guidance that you need. So that's in a nutshell, if you, if you open the guideline and read on it, and if you open the template, it makes it easier for you to choose out of the toolbox which tools you want to use in your institution. That's actually the core, how we see that it is. It is workable to find your way through, dig your way through the, the plethora of documents that we have collected. Yeah, that gives a really good indication of where one starts and doesn't get lost on the website. Now, looking at the project you didn't only develop the material but you've also tested it so you had a pilot testing phase where different institutions have already tried to work with the toolbox and my question to you as we all want to know you know how did it work <laughs> were there any special learnings from this yeah uh, is there any advice you can share yeah so one of the key things that is important if you have someone it can be a policymaker or someone 
in an institution that finds this important, then it's so much easier because that then you can create this research integrity promotion plan, then you can use the guidance, and then you will start working with them, teaching, but also in implementing certain guidelines on all different kinds of topics. So that's very important, or one thing. And also that you need a personal uh, approach. You have to think for yourself as an institution, what do you need? What, what do you find important? And that's what is important actually, because some institutions are already well experienced with research integrity, are really focusing on research integrity. So they are already, well, not champions, I wouldn't say that, but they have a lot of things already in place. While other institutions are just starting to get research integrity education for a PhD student, for example, organized. So there's a big difference in how far people are already in the implementation of research integrity and putting research integrity to the limelight. So that makes it even more important that you have to be aware of, of these differences and that you really have to tailor your own plan. And of course, we can help with that. And what the, that's also what the pilot institutions told us is that we had, on the one hand, they gave some uh, advices how we can improve the, uh, the template and how we can improve the guidelines on how to create a research safety promotion plan. And, but also they gave some suggestion that some uh, recommendations are not very useful or they're not, not possible to implement in their institutions. So that's also something that we took into account and to reshape the guidelines as well. Now you mentioned because you said we can help you with that but as the project is coming to an end so and often the problem with big eu projects that there's great stuff around and then the funding ends and you know it all just dies <laughs> so um do you have any sustainability plans will the material be updated is it going to stay as it is what's the plan there yeah so uh, we, we're currently in the process of, of discussing this very, very thoroughly in, in our own consortium, of course, because this is, this is already what we started flagging one and a half year ago. Like, okay, now we have something created and we, on the, we, are, we are researchers and we also dependent on, the, on, on funding and so on and so forth. So it is a very important question and we should never underestimate this question because it's very difficult because if there's no money, how can you assure that this is this is, is going to work? So there are a couple of things that we do. On the one hand, we share the results on the Embassy of Good Science, uh, and that's a uh, that's a wiki-based platform that will be that will be in the air for for well at least the coming five to ten years and hopefully longer. Uh, and there we have a designated uh, page that is uh, reflecting the Sobsterai uh, uh, consortium and the toolbox will be available there. And the, uh, all the existing documents are also available there in a, in a, in a handy format. The, that's one thing. On the other hand, we are creating a sustainability plan with ambassadors. We do not need that much money to, in order to get it updated. Uh, so we, 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 we're trying to work with ambassadors. We potentially going to work with Sage, the publishing company together. They, they find a way how they can use certain institutions in order to receive some help in using the toolbox that they, they, they pay a small fee and that Sage can, can pay us in order to yearly update the toolbox. So this is something that we're currently working on. On the one hand, I'm, well, optimistic and also a little bit pessimistic because it's, it, this is how researchers work, is that there's if there's a new project, then the focus will go there and there's not so much focus anymore. On the other hand, 
the beauty of the well and this i'm very biased here but the beauty of the subscribe project is that there is a very positive a very um, enthusiastic research culture in our in our consortium and hopefully that also sparks some continuous enthusiasm to to represent a subsoraya in the future as well well that's great to hear so because you mentioned you're partially optimistic about this how is your feeling about the healthier research culture in the future? Because, I mean, we all know articles saying, oh, the system is broken and you know, it's all going downhill from here. Do you believe it's still possible to attain a healthier research culture with more responsible research integrity? Yeah, well, here I'm very positive, way more, well, pretty positive. And you know, and you know it's because... We're, we're living in a very interesting age because 10 years ago, there was hardly any attention. When I started my PhD, there was hardly any attention for research integrity. We had some fraud cases. They were devastating for science and the trust in science. But in those 10 years, a lot of things have changed. I feel that we are in a paradigm shift and the paradigm shift is also a little bit of a buzzword. So but I still feel it that there's a lot of young uh, early career research that are really want to change the system. They really want to change how research is organized right now. They are also different in what academic success is. There are a lot of idealists in the field. And there's also a lot of change in how people aspire research integrity. You have, for example, the open science movement, and that's extremely big. And uh, 10 years ago, there was open access was actually the only people uh, people are, are, are focusing on open access, but not so much on other things. But now it's it's so much more about open data. It's about reproducibility. It's about pre-registration. So there's a lot of things that are actually going on. A lot of initiatives, funders are changing. So there, there are coming, and that goes unfortunately very slow, uh, more career opportunities for early career researchers. The, the European uh, Union is, is investing a lot of money in meta research or research on research. So the researcher assessment criteria are really changing with the, with a lot of initiatives that are want to change the, the unidimensional focus on just publications and citations. And of course, change goes slow. It doesn't go fast, but I think we are really in a very interesting time. And I'm very happy that I'm a, a meta researcher in these times because uh, the, 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 a lot of interesting things are going on. Thank you very much for today. Thank you, Yuri. Yeah, thank you so much for your attention. It was great to share with you the knowledge on the uh, toolbox and uh, looking forward to, uh, to meet again in the future.